Hey everyone, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. It's been a while. A few extra weeks have passed since the last episode aired, and I could tell you about all my excuses, but they're just that. Excuses. I'm building a home office in my backyard, though, which is taking a lot of my free time. Lord willing, when I'm done, there's going to be a lot of pure and simple Bible videos and projects that I'm going to be able to resurrect and create, so it's some very exciting times going on for the website. This past Sunday, I was able to chat with one of my dearest friends, Bradley Ballard. He's serving the Lord's Church in South Korea currently. Previously, he and Brandy worked with us in Cambodia for two years. Our conversation on Sunday was a great introduction to his life and work as someone who is bringing the good news of Jesus to new places in his own way. He inspires me, and he can also inspire anyone who seeks to answer the call to serve the Lord, whether you are working to be classically trained as an evangelist, or rather you simply desire to bring the good news of Jesus in your capacity. Bradley is also a gifted songwriter. And for the next couple of episodes, I'd like to introduce a, uh, a song of his as we discuss the Lord's work together. So let's listen to a single verse of A Glimpse of You and think about the message. When dark clouds part and sun shines through, I see a glimpse of you. A baby's cry when first friend knew, again a glimpse of you. You don't have to look very, very far, your creation to proclaim how great thou art. Shine the sun and flow the river, everything in all the world. Claims the giver, you are in all that we see, and to you we give the glory. And now we're going to jump straight into our interview with Bradley Ballard. So I guess I'd like for you to share your spiritual life and your direction before you went on your first mission trip to Cambodia. Tell me about, I guess, growing up in the church and some of the life plans you had for yourself. Uh, first of all, it's a treat to get to be here with you in spirit and in voice. Uh, this is a real pleasure to get to engage with you again you know, in this work and in this field. Now, my story, if you want to call it that, or my experience um, is different perhaps than a lot of people in that it is sort of straightforward. I don't have a a life story where I've done a real 180 of conviction or of lifestyle. Uh, I grew up in the Lord's Church. My father was a full-time preacher for a lot of that um, upbringing. <clears throat> and even once he became a, a school teacher, the work of the church was always a very uh, big part of his life. People will make jokes about being a preacher's kid and things like that. It's hard for me to explain to them that you know, I came up in a home where we were taught to be good, despite our own imperfections. A good home. We were good boys that really tried our best to do what was right and be good. And so when it came time uh, in my, you know, growing up, to recognize that I needed to make a change in my uh, spiritual life, there was not a huge 180 of, of lifestyle. Like I said, I wasn't having to stop going certain places. I wasn't having to stop 
being around certain people that were having negative impacts on my life, I had really, I feel like I had chosen people who were good for my spiritual um, condition, my, you know, my, my spiritual walk. I had good friendships and companionships, came from a good home. And so um, for me, it was a matter of, I guess, changing my, I guess, strengthening my convictions and growing and recognizing that my world was bigger than just my family and mom and dad. I now had the purpose of serving God in what I did, not just serving family and friendships. So when it came time to uh, consider the mission field, uh, I feel like in a way I had already seen it done. <clears throat> I had seen it done by my father in, in trips he had taken to Mexico uh, and to the Philippines. I actually got to visit Mexico once myself with a group of uh, folks who were going with a mission mindset. And I had gotten to, uh, uh, in my early 20s, I took a trip with my dad to the Philippines for about three weeks to experience the mission field there. Not only that, I had been a part of a couple of congregations who had been through some either very, very lean times where our family was almost all that was there, or I had helped, you know, start a congregation. Um, and so we had been a part of either very small works that required a large personal investment of time and other things, um, uh, or had seen, you know, the mission field itself. And so whenever the call came, uh, it was basically, I feel like, doing kind of the same thing, just in a different place. So tell me about then, you've, uh, you've talked about when the call came. Um, I recall sitting on a fireplace next to you many, many years ago when I guess you could say the call did come. Tell me about what happened there. Oh, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the very fireplace and I remember the very conversation uh, very vividly. Um, and even knowing you and knowing your own, I guess, intentions and convictions, um, it still came out of left field for me. Uh, I remember sitting there and uh, you leaning over to me, uh, not under your breath, but definitely out of earshot of the rest of the folks in the room. And uh, you asked me if, if Brandy and I would consider moving with you and Marissa and your family uh, over to Cambodia. And uh, I even remember my response being, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> because I think I would have expected when you when you asked me, I, I think I would have expected that my I would have started coming up with excuses and uh, thinking of all the reasons why this was not a good idea or could not really happen or why I was the wrong person for it, perhaps. But I remember the moment you asked me, just, I guess, thinking and realizing that um, I had no good reason to say no. You know, I, I mean, at that point, I still was contract with my job and enjoying a career about which I was very passionate but uh, even with my own life goals and plans that Brandy and I had and uh, things that I thought were in our future it occurred to me kind of in that moment that there was a need somewhere that uh, was beyond those goals and plans and uh, it was something that I really needed to consider. When you and Brandy decided to uh move to a foreign country i mean it was was it was it her first time to be out of the continental united states or had you guys traveled before that time i had been out of the continental united states at that point i had been um on a kind of an exploratory trip to china as well as that uh trip to the philippines um brandy though had only been within the continent um and <laughs> we laugh sometimes because 
the only reason she already had a passport was for a vacation we had taken uh, was a very fluff trip and so um, it was uh, funny to think that you know she had gotten her passport for that reason but that would be using it for a much different reason mm. than for our move to Cambodia well what about what's the difference between traveling to a foreign country for a couple of weeks and, and moving there talk about moving to a foreign country and some of the unique perspectives that brings I think there's an immediate change in your mind whenever you don't have a return ticket. Um, whenever you realize that your life and your reality have changed, you become, I think, a little more, for me, I become, I think, a little more protective and a little more wary. I'm a very, very trusting person by nature, and I would say to a fault. <laughs> um, you know, I. I tend to not get too concerned about things or worry about things and trust that they're all going to work out. Um, but whenever you move to a foreign country where you don't know the rules, um, I've, I've heard people use the term, it's like we're speaking a different language. And when you truly are speaking a different language, you're not only speaking in a different language, but you're living by different rules. All of the um, sort of unspoken codes of interaction that you've understood and grown up with anyone anyone you encounter there are now different rules and you've all and no one hands you a rule book right when you actually move to a place you sort of become a child mm. because you know a child when they're growing up in this world and learning the rules of interaction the the social rules by which they interact with you know everyone in their lives all of that changes for you yeah. And uh, when you don't know the rules, it's hard to really, I guess, act with any certainty in anything you do. And it causes you to reevaluate yourself, your thoughts, your beliefs, your convictions. It's one thing and, to uh, be it's one thing to be ignorant for a moment in your life about something versus living in ignorance where you are completely and utterly helpless around a large population that looks upon you as completely and utterly helpless. It's quite a change. Speaking about depending on others, um, you know, a, a missionary traditionally uh, is very dependent on a congregation to send them to a foreign country and uh, I guess pay for their expenses and their, their um, livelihood while they're there. You pursue both in Cambodia and now in South Korea uh, secular work to help offset such a financial expense. Why did you decide to do that instead of pursue evangelism full-time as a preacher or a missionary? One of the, the largest ones, I think, is a scriptural precedent. The Bible says that you know those who do the work, whether they're elders or evangelists, are worthy of being cared for by the church. And so I don't dismiss that by any means, but I also uh, look at the example of Paul and other active servants in the New Testament. And when we read about the fact that they were workers— uh, Paul himself, he worked tirelessly, but he actually had a secular job as a tent maker. That's, from what I understand, how he made the close acquaintance of Priscilla and Aquila. Um, they shared in that um, secular work together. Uh, they shared that work in common. And, uh, you know, Priscilla and Aquila are never mentioned as being evangelists full-time or part-time, but they do uh, the work of faithful Christians, and they had a powerful impact on men who we look at as you know, doors into other places, the, the impact they had in helping nurture Paul and support him, the impact they had on Apollos um, before he 
you know, went on, uh, was corrected and went on into other places and was able to be a, a stalwart defender of the faith, you know, their impact as humble tent makers in a city. <laughs> I also think that um, pursuing secular work in order to help facilitate or, like you said, offset some of the financial needs um, helps make another thing possible. And that is something else we read about in scripture. And that is for new works that are unestablished to have two men go. And, uh, you know, two male workers in a new work, an unestablished place to do that work together. Um, this is worthy of an entire study in itself, but there's a very, very strong, you know, principle in scripture for two men being engaged in a work such as this for the purpose of supporting one another, for the purpose of being a witness for one another, um, helping hold each other accountable. I'm helping lift each other up, helping correct each other. And helping each other I'm... out in the public worship as well, so you don't have to do everything yourself. <laughs> yeah, there, there's matters of principle, there's matters of, there's practical matters. And I feel like the longer I'm engaged in works like this, the more I see the wisdom, God's pattern, evident in, in those things. And um, so the I feel like in, in securing a secular job, if I'm able to, make more finances available for that second person to come, which we currently do not have here, then um, it will help. <clears throat> you know, it's it's worth um, using that time and that energy if it will make you know, meeting that goal more possible. You've also so, in the past mentioned about uh, the precedent that it sets on the local population. Uh, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you and I and many others, I'm sure, have either heard of or experienced firsthand situations where um, very, very well-meaning, very, very sincere um, people will send money or provide money for um, helping with a foreign work or maybe an individual. And while their motives are absolutely pure, what ends up happening a lot of times is, uh, or what we have seen happen, is the recipients of that money don't necessarily do anything wrong with it, and they might not be impacted negatively in their heart or spirit or anything. But um, <clears throat> the very presence of that money caused problems for them when others find out where the money comes from, um, when others find out, wait a second, I can, you mean if I say that I believe what you believe, someone in the United States will write me a check? Um, it, it can create um, a system and uh, it can become a stumbling block and it it saddens me and i guess it scares me to think that you know we can be creating a or we can be setting up a, a broken system uh from the onset if we're not very careful so that's why although i do receive support and uh early on we've you know i have been supported full-time while i'm trying to get a job but now that i've secured that position we're able to um tail off on the support i receive from the states and um am able to even if not uh, 100% for myself, we're able to demonstrate to people we encounter and people we meet and everything that we are uh, striving to be self-sufficient and striving to work for ourselves. And uh, I think those are important things to, to model uh, for, for someone who's in the position of leadership, for someone who's in the position of teaching to be able to demonstrate those principles in their lives, not just stand up in front of people and say, hey, you need to be responsible. Hey, you need to be a good worker. 
it's easy to say those things, but then to model them in your own life, I think is uh, where the real I guess, impact. And you did that in both countries. About how long did it take you uh, to secure some sort of job uh, in Cambodia and in South Korea? Uh, in Cambodia, we, you know, you know firsthand how hard we tried beforehand to secure work so that it would be waiting for us when we arrived. That just simply was not something we were able to do, though. So in Cambodia, I feel like it was, you know, God's providence that not long after we arrived with the school year starting up, it wasn't long before I was able to secure a position at a, um, uh, you know, reputable school there where I was able to draw a salary, but also find a position that was part-time, which allowed me to be more available for the sake of the work. Um, and so that was a, a really good balance to strike, and I was able to, you know, secure a second year there with that job, so it allowed us to, um, you know, continue doing what we, you know, you know, meeting the goals that we had set for the work, for travel, for studies, and things like that. Um, here in Korea, things have been a little different. Uh, it's a much more developed country, and uh, that has been both a blessing, uh, but it's also brought its challenges. Um, it's it took me a little longer to secure work. We arrived in September, and I'm 2017. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, September 2017. So we've been here a little over eight months now, and I have just finished my first month of teaching. I got this position not by sending out a big stack of resumes, but through a connection we had when we came. And so again, I felt like God's providence was a very big part of this in uh, finding a position once again that is it's still part time. It's nearly full time as far as the hours go, but it still allows, you know, engage in the uh, evangelistic part of this work, but also fulfill that that those other needs, and I think create other opportunities as well. Um, people I've told, you know, there have been people I've shared with that I've gotten this job, and they have initially shared concern that it would take away from the work we're doing here. If that work were sitting behind a desk and writing articles all day, then yes, it would take away from that. But if, uh, because this work is trying to get out and meet people and engage with people within the community uh, to learn the language, uh, to learn the culture, all those things, this job helps facilitate that and create opportunities to do that. So when you do this work, um, you know, I'm thinking about congregations that are wanting to begin some sort of foreign evangelistic effort. And realistically, uh, you know, you're going to have to invest a lot of money in a foreign work, just the plane tickets and the, the resources that it takes to send someone there. Uh, and if they were to go full-time with the family, that's a significant financial resource. But even part-time, you know, there's going to be the commitment to make sure that you have needs met that the local job isn't going to cover. I'm going to use that to segue into a different question. You and your family, that's you and Brandy, um, are going to have to make some sacrifices in this regard. You know, you're going to be li uh, taking a job that uh, is going to help pay the bills, and then there's going to be a, a, the church that, that helps coordinate your work is helping cover some of the expenses as well. But my understanding is that you're not going to be living in such a way where you're, I guess, going the traditional route of the American dream. Like, this is setting back some of your own personal plans uh, with your business here in the States, etc. So comment for me on what it takes to 
give up the American dream or I guess realize that it's a delusion and that we need to be living the Christian dream. I mean, that's a pretty big response that you could make, but if you can uh, try to comment on that, I'm, I'm sure people would love to hear about it. focuses on opportunity. It focuses on things, but it also very, very much focuses on self. And it focuses on what you want. It focuses on what you can do. Whenever you look at self and giving yourself what you want, that's a tool that Satan uses. Whenever we look at the Christian life, where we look at a life of sacrifice. And so if you come to me and you tell me, I've got a place where you can have everything you've ever wanted, you can accomplish anything you've ever wanted to do, you know, to me, that sounds too good to be true. And I think that's a lie that Satan uses to, to snare us, make us his slaves. And it's one of the great frightening mysteries of our life is that we can think that we are in control uh, we can think that when we are looking out for ourselves, that we are putting our, you know, that we are truly happy. But the Bible states a principle that, sadly, we can't learn on our own if, if we are too close-minded about it. But that is that uh, the things of this life, when we think we own something, it actually begins to own us. And, you know, just in the practical side of things with Brandy and I trying to figure out how to get our our earthly possessions that we did keep in the United States, how to get them chipped over here, you know, that that in a way kind of makes us slaves. Uh, you know, we have to consider where we can live based on what we'll, what our stuff will fit into. We have to consider, you know, so much so much about, um, oh, well, but my, my, my dresser is this big. Oh, oh uh, but I have to have a place for my tools and uh, this. And so we think, oh, man, our stuff makes us, so powerful and, and so happy but then again we're slaves of our stuff <laughs> and so that, that's kind of the challenge of, of recognizing for for yourself or asking yourself do i own these things or do they own me it makes me think about galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where it says i have been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ who lives within me the vast majority of people in America who are members of the Lord's Church are not going to live a missionary lifestyle abroad. So how would you encourage us then, who are still here in the States, to uh, give up the American dream and live the heavenly dream, knowing that we're not going to have to do what you do, which is you know physically give up all your possessions, move to another country, and uh, work in a position that you know, you, you wouldn't make the salary that maybe you would make in the States. What can we do here to make it be not us living, but Christ living through us? I think that's a wonderful question. It um, kind of hits on the, the real issue of, you know, what we talk about with the American dream. You know, you don't have to give up all of your stuff or all of your ambitions just to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord in your life and treating all those possessions that you have treating them as gods and that you are a steward of them, just making that simple shift in your mindset, I think allows us to be better stewards of those things and treat ourselves as stewards rather than owners. And so my question for people whenever they, you know, commend us for what we're doing is thanks. But now, you know, or not my question perhaps, but my commendation is thank you for what you're doing for staying home and tending the fields there. Because if you move from one field to another and neglect the field from where you moved, 
you know, then those plants are going to die and all that opportunity is going to be lost. But if there are still people there to tend the soil and to care for the souls that are there, then um, I think that that's that's the real blessing of of works like this is whenever you take one plant and move it elsewhere, then you create more ground for others to grow, to develop roots. Possibly you've taken a larger tree out of the way so more sunlight can reach the smaller ones and they can grow in a way they couldn't grow in the shadow of someone else. I think there's a, a pressing need for people to recognize their usefulness for the kingdom. And for myself, you know, I'm trying to help make sure that this work here gets what it needs in finding another brother to come be a part of the work. But I recognize that a lot of the people to whom I reach out, you know, and say, we need, we need you or someone like you here. Um, I recognize that they are, you know, in many cases, just tirelessly expending their energy and their, their time and everything for the sake of the kingdom in another way and in another place. And it's not up to me to judge the value of that. It's up to me to trust that they're doing exactly what I'm, they're doing in their field, what I'm trying to do in this field here. And so I've developed an appreciation for people who are um, doing the best they can with what they have uh, or the opportunities they have. Um, (laughs) There was never a time in my life when I expected getting such a call as this. I, I can't look down on someone else because they've not, this opportunity i can appreciate what they're doing in places that i can never reach out or never reach Uh, you know when we moved here we said goodbye to people who in some ways needed our influence back home but it was a a conscious decision you know we tried to pass off you know leads and contacts and relationships that we had uh, with whom we can no longer engage directly because we don't live there anymore colleagues i had friends i had that were not in the church but people i was trying to um, share the gospel with and things like that. Those opportunities are no longer there, and uh, I have to live with the fact that, in, in a way, I walked away from those. But at the same time, we were trying to answer a call, and uh, Brandy and I both think of it this way, and she's actually the one that came up with this analogy or this metaphor. But, um, you know, if we are indeed faithful soldiers in the army of God, um, when you receive marching orders in a physical army, you don't get to say, uh, Commander, I actually don't, that doesn't work for my schedule. <laughs> that doesn't work for the plans I had. I'd really rather go over here or, or hold off or something. When, when you're told to march, you march. And uh, the attitude that we've tried to take with this is that, you know, as soldiers in a Christian army, uh, we were given marching orders and we said, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and so um, that's been something that we've tried to, to keep in our minds and uh, also tried to remember that others are doing that very same thing in other places. All right, everyone, we're going to pause right there and share the remainder of Bradley's interview during the next episode. And I hope that his life example is an encouragement for you to answer the Lord's call for service There are wonderful opportunities everywhere for everyone to serve the Lord. Now, before we go, let's listen to Bradley's song, 
a glimpse of you one more time. When one forgives and friends renew, I see a glimpse of you. There's hope for me, your words so true, again a glimpse of you. You don't have to look very far for your creation to proclaim how great thou art. Shine the sun and flow the river, everything in all the world proclaims the giver. You are in all that we see, and to you we give the glory. You are in all that we see, all we see. What a great song. You can find this version on Andrew Martin's SoundCloud or on the Pure and Simple Bible website, along with every other song of the week on the podcast page. While you're there, look around the site. Check out the other podcasts, the videos, and the study resources that are available for you to use absolutely free. This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next time. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is.